0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. It's uh, Dr. Mark List here with Primary Care Pod at gmail.com inbox, uh, listening to your, uh, uh, reading your questions, listening to your uh, thoughts, uh, psychoanalyzing your whole life. Nope, not doing that. Okay, so uh, we today have our joke from Primary Care Pod at gmail.com inbox. Again, uh, that's a place that you can send any questions, concerns, uh, things, topics you want us to hear, any feedback you have for us. Uh, love to hear feedback, uh, really appreciate it. So on today's uh, today's uh, inbox, it's another joke uh, from an anonymous listener. Uh, Dr. List, uh, a Nebraska fan and an Iowa fan walk into a bakery. The Iowa fan steals three buns and he puts them into his pockets and he leaves. He turns to the Nebraska fan and said, that took great skill and guile to steal those buns. The owner didn't even see me. The Nebraska fan says, that's just simple thievery. I'll show you how to do it the honest way and to get the same results. So the Nebraska fan proceeded to call the owner of the bakery it walks in says sir I want to show you a magic trick the owner of the bakery was really intrigued so he came over to see the magic trick the Nebraska fan says can I have a bun owner gives him the bun the Nebraska fan eats it says I need another bun owner gives him another one and eats it again he says sir I need a third bun takes the bun eats it again the owner says okay my friend Now, where's the magic trick? Nebraska fan looks at him and says, Check the Iowa fans' pockets. All right, let's start the episode. The primary Care Podcast is written by a family physicians for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, residents, and medical interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast, produced my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements so of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe, keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everybody! Pod girls, pod boys, pod people, uh, MDs, DOs, PAs, NPs, practitioners from around the globe. We are now—I don't know if anybody knows this or not—but we are a global audience. We had a—we got several hundred dedicated weekly listeners. I uh, appreciate every one of you. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, so today we're going to follow up a little bit on last week's, so and we're going to finish up real quick. But on this episode, I want to talk about how we do this and when we do this and. It, is there an efficient way to do it versus an inefficient way to do that? Because you guys can just go read the start and stop criteria and 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 this is not anything new. Uh, what this episode I want to talk about is how can we do it better? How can we do it more efficiently? How can we do it a way that takes it off of your plate and puts it on other people's plates and yet you're involved in it in this discussion with patients? And how can we do it well? So that's what we're going to focus on on today's episode. In addition to looking at the differences between the two and when to use one versus the other. So let's get into it there's been a couple there's been a lot of studies by the way a lot of studies on looking at beers versus start and stop okay now this was a review sorry let me let me pull up the 2017 right journal of american geriatric society predictive validity of beers versus stop criteria to detect adverse drug events hospitalizations and emergency departments in the united states okay and beers criteria was a little bit better when looking at adverse drug events ed visits and hospitalizations slightly outperformed the beers criteria so if you had to memorize one you'd I, i'd recommend start and stop criteria but there's beers criteria has a lot of value as well so in count the two are, are kind of synergistic and so knowing both is very helpful at reducing adverse events ed trips and hospitalizations due to drug events. okay so but it, they're pretty close but the beers criteria is not worthless, right? There's a lot of value in looking at the Beers criteria. It's just not, if you had to pick one of the two, it appears that start and stop criteria has a better predictive value in terms of overall outcomes. Now, that being said, right? In other other studies have looked at very similar things. So this was a comparison. This was in a Journal of Evaluating Clinical Practice 2015, a comparative study of using Beers and Stop for identifying the use of potentially inappropriate medications in elderly patients in primary care. And the prevalence of these potentially inappropriate medications in this outpatient sample was 33% using stop criteria and 51% using the Beers criteria, right? And so I think that there's a—one of the reasons that I think that the start and stop criteria outperform beers when it comes to the adverse drug events that cause meaningful outcome changes in terms of EDs and hospitalizations is that when you look at a study like this in primary care right 51% of people were were pinged in the beers criteria right the most the most common short acting nifedipine gliburide were the two at uh, 17% and 11% of patients and while those are both those are both bad medicines gliburide should never be used glipizide definitely instead or even not using sulfonylureas but gliburide, uh, i always learned in see why gliburide, right oh i don't know if you guys could hear that that was really loud thunder uh, i don't know if you guys could hear that but that was pretty cool um, so when we apparently i'm recording in a thunderstorm in my uh, in my recording studio here so uh, back to the back to the study though according to the stop criteria right inappropriately being prescribed uh, aspirin uh, without any indication was number one Uh, clonazepam uh, was number two which again we talked in the last episode about benzos being a huge uh, contributor in terms of the initial study that uh, that kind of prompted this whole discussion about this and diclofenac uh, NSAIDs again um, as another reason that patients are being inappropriately prescribed medications so this is—there's uh, th- there's pros and cons to both, right? Uh, Beers has such a massive list of medicines, over 100 medicines, right, that you're going to get a lot of kind of—if uh, you if you ran uh, your all of your patients through the Beers criteria, you're going to get a lot more pings. And some of those pings, while certainly there are better choices for medications, and it's certainly good to be aware of those things— if they don't necessarily lead to negative adverse events, you're just going to get kind of alert fatigue. I, I think that there's a good there's a good idea in changing a lot of these things just to prevent uh, the potential for adverse drug events. But again, I think your your money if you had to choose one to memorize start and stop criteria. I think based on several of these studies. So, why should we really care, right? Why does it matter starting and stopping these medications? Uh, using Beers criteria to analyze our patients, to look at hospital discharges. Uh, so again, I, I think you can do this anytime with any of your patients. I think that there's value in med wrecking and making changes uh, all the time in and in, in older patients. Um, I, I think it it takes time, it takes effort, and oftentimes they're there with other complaints and other things they want to talk about. But I think MedRec is super duper duper important. We're going to talk about ways that we can do that uh, in, this, in this podcast episode. So the way I look at it is I think that as soon as I see a hospital discharge in my schedule, I immediately look at their discharge medications. I look at their recent discharge summary, and I see what was started. And if uh, there was anything started, I, I think about, can I stop this? Is this something that has to be continued, or can I stop it? Because I really want to stop the meds. I, I, I don't want any more meds on my patients unless it's really, really necessary. Um, maybe it was something I missed. Uh, for example, a CHF patient, maybe maybe it was a, a good added-on ACE inhibitor that I didn't have, uh, something like that. But uh, when we look at start and stop and Beer's criteria, why this is important is because in primary care, start and stop say that there's a, potentially about one out of every five-year patients will be on something inappropriate. Okay. And one out of five patients, you could potentially be adding something to the regimen that could be helpful. Okay. In nursing homes, the stop criteria is up to about 50% of all nursing home patients are being potentially inappropriately prescribed a medication. And so not only discharge summaries, but also nursing home follow-ups, nursing home, uh, every, the the 60 day window, I think is always a good time to just say, Hey, can we stop this? Hey, can can we do this? And, And now Why? Right? Why is this important? Okay. Because when we look at outcomes, we know that decreasing polypharmacy, decreasing potential side effects, decreasing adverse drug events can lead to decreased hospitalizations, decreased ERs, decreased morbidity, decreased mortality. And this has been pretty well proven. And I think the way to go about this in your own practice is to get in the habit of okay, I'm going to do this every discharge every discharge summary, every discharge, every hospital follow-up, I'm going to do this. If you're a primary care doctor who's in the hospital on discharge, looking at what can I stop, what can I not stop, what can what can I not continue into the outpatient realm that might give the patient some value, right? And there was a study in Clinical Pharmacy of Therapeutics, Gallagher et al., in 2011, and they did a clinical pharmacist pilot where the clinical pharmacist was basically given free reign with the provider to look at all these medications and to make appropriate changes based on start and stop criteria, okay? And there's a score of medical appropriateness index uh, about medications, and basically compared to the control group, made massive changes, massive changes, not only at discharge, but then they saw that continuing at two months and four months and six months follow-ups that these medications stopped getting on the list, were not re-added, and there was no suffering. There was no problems. Okay. What, what about in this same study they looked at in their study, again, on admission to the hospital, the intervention and control groups both had about 35% of patients had at least one potentially, potentially inappropriate medicine and at least one prescribed an admission. So again, all the things we talked about before that are on the start criteria but at discharge, that that fell off because at they were prescribed it on follow-up. And so at discharge, only 2% of people in the inter- intervention group weren't being prescribed something they should be prescribed. And I think the start criteria is way easier to do than the stop criteria because oftentimes patients, especially if it's a long-term benzo, man, these patients have been on benzos forever. Or if it's a PPI, man, these patients really struggle with you know, dyspepsia, or they struggle with, you know, epigastric pain, they struggle with heartburn issues. And if you stop their PPI, they're miserable. And they've been on a PPI forever, and yet it dings on the stop criteria and the beers criteria. So but start criteria is something that you can get high value out of these are these are these are medications that are usually have very good indication have very high yield in terms of their value that are oftentimes missed in geriatric patients or missed in certain disease states. And so that is something that you can usually fix. Now, I like these couple of studies um, in the Clinical Pharmacy of Therapeutics in 2011 because they show the value of a clinical pharmacist, okay? If you have resources in your your practice, in your organization to have a clinical outpatient pharmacist, this is where they can have incredible yield, right? Because right now, um, a lot of practitioners, a lot of docs, Use clinical pharmacists as kind of like this: the hey, can this person can what what can we do for med cost on this patient? Hey, can you help this patient with with medication education and compliance and setting up their pill bottles? And hey, what would you prescribe antibiotic wise for this case because they have these indications or they have these allergies? What would you prescribe? Or hey, they have this contraindication; I can't prescribe this medicine. What else could work for them? And I don't, I'm not saying that's a bad re- way to use your clinical pharmacist, um, but clinical pharmacists have a ton of value in the outpatient setting, right? Clinical pharmacists can basically run your chronic disease management clinic and they can titrate insulins, and they can titrate antihypertensives and they can titrate uh, a lot of the things that you are stuck doing. We, we did a, a podcast a couple of months ago about taking people off of their antihypertensives that no longer need it. Uh, and potentially, again, avoiding hypotensive episodes, potentially avoiding falls, and passively allowing a little bit of mild or minimal hypertension in elderly patients that don't have a heart history of stroke or heart attack. and it, it's And it's fine, and there's no downside to it. These are things that a clinical pharmacist can really add to your your value because it's less cognitive load on you. It's less time during your day and it speeds up your efficiency and it's good patient care, most importantly. And it's not on your plate. And here's a ge- another great case for a clinical pharmacist where maybe your organization should set something up and we're, I'm trying to set this up in my own organization here. I, I'm working on it internally. Um, but have every single hospital discharge in my clinic a clinical pharmacist attends or at least has like a multidisciplinary conference about they can review and they can look at potential stop, Beers criteria, lists about things that can we get this off, how can we get this person off, or looks at the stop, knows the start, the start criteria, looks at the start, knows the start criteria, and 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 recommends me to add these medications right so i think that this is another incredibly high value use of your clinical pharmacist because med rec at discharge especially hospital discharge takes time right because you have to review the hospital summary discharge summary you have to see what happened you have to see What's going on? What the prognosis? What the follow up plan is with different specialists? You have to see what was prescribed, what was started, what was stopped, and that sometimes that's not very obvious, especially if you have uh, hospitalists or hospital team that doesn't do a good job of, about doing this. And and potentially you have to have you know follow up images, labs, X rays, orders, and of course then you have to actually actually have the visit where the patient discusses the hospitalization with you and their questions, their concerns, their things that their feedback that you might not know anything about. So. The hospital discharge is already a big enough event the way it is that I think taking this off your plate uh, and and allowing it to be a multi-special, uh, a multidisciplinary team it, it has incredibly high value. And uh, if anybody's listening to this podcast or knows me, knows how what I think about how medicine should be a team approach, we should have a team-based approach, it should not just be Lone Ranger, MD, or DO, I, I think we need teams like this and not just like teams that are costing money without adding value this is something that adds value this is something that decreases the overall cost of of healthcare if we can decrease er's and rehospitalizations and adverse drug events and this is something where a pharmacist can add incredible value okay that's enough off my soapbox so what does this mean oh, when we do this? Uh, the economic costs are, are pretty crazy. In 2010, this is a Kahir et al., uh, British Journal of Clinical Pharmacology. Uh, they did a huge study of the Irish population-based study. Uh, 300,000 people were in the N. And potentially inappropriate prescribing rate based on stop criteria was 36%. And it saved 45 million euros right? 45 million euros. And I'm not going to do the math conversion. You guys can do it yourself. Our international listeners, this is going to be right up your alley. You don't even need to do the conversion yourself. But 9% of the overall expenditure on pharmaceuticals greater than 70 years old could be removed. 9% of elderly patient spending on pharmaceuticals is inappropriately, potentially inappropriately being prescribed 9% 9% savings. It, what, if I went to Medicare and said, I could save Medicare 9% on their pharmaceutical spending, I would be able to like buy my own island with that type of money, okay? So my point is, this has incredibly high value, not only because as we talked about, there's there's good evidence to say, especially stop criteria, but also beers criteria to a lesser extent, decrease hospitalizations, decrease ERs, decrease drug adverse o- outcomes and events, uh, lowers morbidity, mor- morbidity issues, But then there's incredible value in terms of financial implications. There's also the benefit to your patients. Nothing makes your patients happier than losing the medication, reducing their medication, their pill burden. Patients love that. That's such a huge patient satisfier. Um, and, And so again, a bad way to do it is you to do this all on your own and you to suffer I think trying to do this every single visit is pretty, pretty daunting. But I think trying to remember to do this at every hospital discharge and potentially at every Medicare annual wellness visit or every annual physical, I think, again, if you remind yourself to do it, like try to do it once a year uh, or at certain events, I think, again, high value. Nursing homes should always be looking at this. But again, I said this on the first episode last week, but I feel like this is such a huge, huge percent of what you should be focused on and what we should be focused on with geriatric medicine. I talk about this with my medical students all the time. Like geriatrics is hard. Why? Because they have multiple multiple chronic medical issues and multiple multiple medications. And how can we make that less complicated? Well, you can't take chronic diseases away from people if they're, you know, unless they're going to exercise and lose weight and do all this other stuff. Those chronic diseases aren't just falling off, right? They're there till death for a lot of people but you can potentially decrease their pill burden, decrease their polypharmacy, switch them to better medications, switch them to nothing if possible, lower their pill counts, lower potential drug adverse events. And so it's not overwhelming and it's not on you. Consider this being a team-based approach, right? Consider a nurse case manager in your clinic or a clinical pharmacist. Uh, or an outpatient pharmacist, if they want to be involved in this, if you can get them involved, maybe they, maybe there's some value uh, for them. Uh, but again, try to do this, try to get it in your brain that this becomes your dogma, that every hospital discharge, the first thing I think about is med rec, med rec, med rec. Maybe it's for Medicare annual wellness or annual physicals, you do this. Uh, but there has to be some way that this becomes part of our clinical dogma, and that it's not all on us to do every single time all by ourselves, because that gets to be quite overwhelming and quite burdening so hopefully this topic was uh, interesting hopefully this topic was valuable hopefully uh, this is a good review for you on stop and beers criteria uh, and hopefully uh, we look at the start criteria which again i think is the higher yield because stop criteria and beers deals with a lot of medications that are so hard to take away again i think we i think we try and work at that but start criteria has a lot of good medications with high value impact with certain disease states. I think that's a a good thing, That a good good idea to chop off first if you want to take this piecemeal. Um, So again, hopefully everyone enjoyed this. Uh, This has been Dr. Mark List with PrimaryCarePod at Uh, gmail.com. PrimaryCarePod and the inbox is PrimaryCarePod at gmail.com. Please email me uh, any questions, concerns, fears, worries. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, Remember, you don't have to stay up all night to stay up to date. Uh, God bless. Have a great week. Thanks. A Bob. A take us out. A thanks. See you, everyone, later.